Storm Bowling Products, the Bowlers Company, presents the Storm Collegiate Spotlight with Tim Berg and Kendall Miles. Above180.com's Tim Berg and Storm's web content manager and former collegiate bowler at Weber International University, Kendall Miles, are going to introduce a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now, here's Tim and Kendall. Joining us on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight podcast is Bill Spigner. Bill is a USBC Gold Level coach. Bill is a member of seven bowling Hall of Fames, including the USBC Hall of Fame, and he also coaches high school bowling. Bill, it's Tim Berg and Kendall Miles here. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Tim. It's been a long time, and uh, I listen to your show frequently. I try to keep up with everything you guys do, and uh, you do a great job with everything. All right, Bill, well, let's get right into things because you're in tune with the the high school players, the collegiate players, you're in tune with a lot of different the PBA players. But let's go down to the high school level and talk about just high school bowling and and talk about how what can what you what you're what you're doing as a coach and how you help high school bowlers to prepare for bowling in college. Well, that's a that's an interesting question. First off, you know, high school bowlers. Uh, 95% of them, if not more, will never bowl college. And being uh, Illinois, it's a varsity sport, and there's probably 450 teams between girls and guys that are all accredited through the high school, and they get letters and everything. So it's it's a pretty big deal. So the structure is very good. And, you know, at the high school bowling, you know, we, we you have freshmen, sophomore junior and seniors and so when you get a group of freshmen in very rarely do you get somebody in that knows how to bowl these days and we're blessed this year with one but that doesn't happen very often so what we end up doing is we'll take freshmen that never bowled before and then we have to try to develop them and hoping by the time they get to their junior year they could be jv or even varsity so your expectations of them is trying to get make them into athletes in college and competitive in high school rather and competitors. And a lot of kids come out to bowl high school as something to do. But my uh, the culture I have on my team, and I've been doing this for 20 years, is that I want them to become competitors. It doesn't mean they have to be really good bowlers, but when they're bowling, I want them to compete and do the best they can. So it's, it's more developing bowlers. And, you know, the one thing I, I, I looked at not that long ago is, you know, thinking about going into college and stuff with any athlete. And there's about 16 or 17,000 high school football teams. There's about 900 high college football teams. And there's 32 NFL teams. So if you think about it, at the high school level, even in football, and it's got to be the same in baseball and every other sport, as soon as high school is over, the overwhelming majority of those people do not go on to college to bowl. So in my case, and in our area, if a kid is, is wanting to bowl in college, it's great, and I have kids that do that, but my goal is not to prepare them to bowl college. My goal is to prepare them to be the best they can within their peer group, which is ninth through 12th grade. After that, if they have the interest and they really want to pursue it outside of the high school season, 
there are lots of those in high school that I give private lessons to from all over the Chicagoland area that have an appetite to bowl in college, and they also pursue all these great tournaments, uh, EYTs, uh, SYCs, uh, Wisconsin stuff. There's a lot. They can bowl every weekend. So those kids are preparing to be tournament bowlers and go to college, and those kids in private lessons are preparing them for that. You know, you go over patterns, and you learn how to line up, and you learn how to scout out how to play a lane to start with when you have no idea and stuff like that. And in high school, we bowl in predominantly house shots, and the skill level of the majority of players aren't that good. And another thing that's happened in, in, in bowling in our area is youth bowling is a desert. There's, there's very few decent programs left out there. In my old bowling center, in our prime, we had almost 430 kids. There's none in that bowling center now. And bowling center I'm at now teaching, they probably have 75 or 80 kids, and that's the biggest program in our whole county. And we get a lot of good bowlers out of there that are developing, and they have good coaching, and they develop into wanting to be better bowlers, not only for high school, but some of them for college. So, you know, it's out there. But as far as me as a college, as a high school coach, I am not preparing them in high school to bowl college. You know, so you mentioned a lot of new bowlers that you'll experience at that freshman level, um, and you want to develop them to be better players by the junior to senior year. What is that initial uh, lesson look like? Because I mean, you've had the pleasure of working with some of the greatest bowlers in the world, and so on. So you have a new bowler; it's not like they're pretty excited to bowl. What does that first lesson or two look like? What are you guys focusing on, um, you know, to get them started? Well, initially, we have what we call tryouts, and very rarely do we cut anybody. And we have 26 kids on our team, and we have the most in our conference. And there's probably half a dozen that I could say we can cut. But as a freshman, we learned something a long time ago. We had, we were cutting kids, and we had one kid that we cut. He couldn't bowl 70 or 80. You know, it was just he was just awful, so we cut him. And the guy that was a head coach then, I was assistant coach, you know, we were talking and we felt bad about it. He said, let's, let's bring him in, let him bowl because we have room for it. It's just another body. By the time he was a senior, he was a 200 average bowler and he was one of our better bowlers on the team and went to state. So it opened our, my eyes and our, both of our eyes that you, you don't know who's going to become the best. You don't know who's going to put the work in. And all you can do is feed them the information to try and get better and it's up to them outside the season to get better. So in today's environment, and it's that way across the board in bowling, the hardest thing to develop is a release, and any good bowler knows that. Tim, you know that. Miles, you know that. You know, the hardest thing you work on, once you get some basics now, is getting a good release. And with two-handed bowling, it's automatic. You automatically get your hand under the ball, the palm under the ball, so you can have reps. And so what I've taken the posture of doing is when the kids come in as a freshman, I'll watch them bowl one day. Now, I'll give you an example. It's something that happened last year. We had eight kids come in as freshmen, I think. No, seven kids. Uh, it was two years ago. And I said, well, we'll watch them the whole day, and we'll see you know, what they look like and make a decision. Fifteen minutes into them bowling, I said, stop. I made them all two-handers. I said, you're all going to be two-handers because none of them had any skill set at all with anything. They had no idea what to do. 
So all of a sudden, they put their fingers in, take their palm, the thumb out, and they could, they could spin the ball. And after a week, I put two of them back to one-handed, and the other five stayed at two-handed, and three of them now are, are JV and varsity starters. So, you know, the development process is there. So I, I put lots and lots of kids into two-handed, and I transition a lot of people into two-handed because of the ability to get a release. And when you're bowling on house conditions, which are 10 to 15 to 1 blends, where the ball is skid all the way down the lane in the middle, and you throw it right at hooks, so if you have a release, you got area to hit the head pin. And then you've got to mm-hmm. teach them how to make spares and stuff. So that's that's kind of the process that I go through today, whereas 10 years ago, that wasn't even a thought. So, Bill, you hit on something very interesting there, that the youth bowling, like you said, it's a desert, to use your words there. What do you attribute that to? Are, are kid, people, kid, other choices, other sports, the center's not trying, a combination of everything that I mentioned? Yeah, absolutely everything, Tim. And, you know, there, there's no magic answer when we opened up Hawthorne Lanes in 1989, and it was in November, in our town, there was no baseball, youth baseball. There was no youth soccer. There was no youth football. So we, in the surrounding area, there was very little. And so kids bowled, and they bowled at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning, 4 o'clock on Friday afternoon. We were filled both times. We were two-thirds of the way full at 11. We were half full on Sunday with an adult child league. So we, we were just gifted with the opportunity, and they all came because we had some decent coaching, and kids got better, and they, they were into it. And slowly it eroded. Once soccer came in, that changed the landscape dramatically. And then they came in with football. And then baseball is in the summer, but there was only a little league, but it wasn't even in our town. Kids in our town had to go to another town. So that is a big contributor to it. And I think another thing, too, that nobody ever talks about is they always put the youth leagues at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning, and I don't think the kids want to get up at 9 o'clock to bowl, get up at 6, 7.30, 8 o'clock to go bowl, and I don't think the parents want to rush out of the house. So I think the timing might be a little bit off to get kids more interested in bowling. And then the biggest thing that's actually saved bowling in the youth is high school bowling, especially in our state. Without high school bowling, these kids wouldn't bowl, most of them. And you touched on earlier about, you know, switching, you know, kids to two-handed. And it's obviously been around, you know, years ago, it was something that was new. And then we saw Belmont busting on the scene, and now we're seeing it more and more and more. What was that transition like as a coach for you to not only teach kids that, you know, have more of the traditional style, but also maybe are one-handed but have their thumb out of it. Now they're two-handers. What was it like as a coach? Maybe maybe learn more about it or adjust your coaching style. What was that transition like? Well, it, it was interesting when it first started happening. My son, Robbie, uh, went to Europe to bowl tournaments when he was in college. He'd fly over on weekends to bowl some tournaments. And he came back one day and he said, you should see these this guy – Belmonte and Oscar, they're unbelievable. And they say, he says he throws, they throw with two hands and no thumb. And I said, yeah, okay. Well, when they came over here, Oscar stayed with us. And I watched them bowl. It just knocked my eyes out. I was just really good game, revs. They moved all over the place. And I, w- I was 
enamored with it right from the first time I saw him. And so I, I studied everybody. And I studied everybody on tour starting in 1977 when I bought my first video equipment. So I'm a student of what goes on. And then you start, you know, with the, the teaching of it, it's very much the same as one-handed. You got timing issues, you got swings, you got releases, you got lineups, body issues, uh, angles of the upper body and stuff. So, you know, I kept learning what worked. And initially, they always they were trying to teach you how to have a skip step. And I never bought into that. I said, that's not right. And then you watch True. He never had one. And then I saw other people not have it. So it became a timing issue that created a skip step. So he had to work the timing around the length of their swing and the body tilt. So, or in the step. So if somebody has a later ball placement and the ball's in front of their left knee on the third step of a five step approach, they're going to have a normal step. If somebody's the, on the third step, the ball is back by the right knee, they're going to have a skip step and they take the skip step to get a short step to get back in time for the last step, just like a one hander. You know, they always called it a power step. It was short, long, everything. Like Sean Rash had a very long power step, and other people had shorter steps. And it's the same type of thing. A lot of times it's timing that causes it. So, you know, for me personally, I, I bought into it right away. And I just I just loved what I saw, and it just was fascinating. So what then advice – do you have as someone like you said you're some bold collegiately what advice do you have for parents and then let's also turn this around on the kids uh, athletes looking to bowl in college let's say they're in their senior year right now let's you know using this year they're they're still picking out schools looking at colleges maybe touring colleges etc what should the parents and kids be looking at well i i deal with quite a few kids and it gets extremely confusing to them. It's, even the very high-skilled players, that when they start looking at three or four colleges and making visits, and they all are good. And the coaches are all good. The facilities are good. The, 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 the history of the program is good. So they have tough decisions. Then you have the other ones that just want to go to college and bowl, and they start visiting programs. And let's say it's a lower-level lower school, they have the same problem. So they have trouble deciding where they want to go. So the, what I always tell them, you know, bowling at college can be very, very hard. There's a lot of travel and you have to have the mindset, no matter where you go, your studies have to come first. You go to college for an education. Professional bowling is not a very uh, lucrative career. There's a good life out there for some, but not for many. So, I try to warn the kids about it. You know, I bowl professionally. I was single, and I knew you had to be single to do it and, and enjoy it. Once you're married with kids, you, it, the money wasn't there. And so you want the kids to be very careful, and, and it's very confusing for the parents, and even more so with the parents because a lot of them don't bowl. So they, they don't know what the kids are going through. And they see little Sally average in 190. They think she's the greatest thing since sliced bread. In reality, she's bowling against an Abby Stark who's a 220 average bowler, and they can't even comprehend the difference in how tough it is. So the mental side of it and them being realistic about it. And then the preparation as far as an athlete goes is, is physical. You've got to get stronger. you got to get in the gym. you got to start bowling all these tournaments that the conditions are tough, so you get experience, and you got to learn to read the patterns, and you got to understand ball reaction, 
and bowling balls. And it, it gets very complex. Our sport is very complex. It's still the same game as always, 60 feet to the head pin, but it's more complex. There's more variables. So. And if they, and you kind of want you to touch on about the parents, how can parents help their kids to find the success of maybe, maybe something like an Abigail Starkey? What can the parents do for the, for the kids and the students for them to improve and making sure they're, they're kind of a part of that process? Well, they, they, they have to, to improve as far as bowling mentally and physically. You need higher skilled coaches that understand the playing environment and what it requires to play in the conditions and then he understands the type of bowling ball. So if they look at a bowling ball and they see how it's drilled, they know what to expect out of that ball. And so a coach has to be pretty pretty skilled in a lot of things. They don't have to be a, a, a touring player, but they have to have a high skill level in the sport of bowling to be able to teach at a high skill level. So that's it, it, hard. It's, it, it's problematic because we don't have a, a, a plethora of coaches out there that are really high skilled and I don't know where they all are. You know, the, I always try to look at all the kids that come to me. I always interview them about where they've been, what they've been through. Uh, then I want go with their pro shop, you know, the check their fit out. So I get to know the pro shops and stuff. And, you know, with the, the kids, you just got to get the right things in their head and uh, the right attitude. It's, it's hard with parents. I mean, I, I don't have a magic answer for it because uh, they're the supporters. They're the financial aid to get into college and pay for it. And uh, it's not it's not easy, but I think they just got to research and they got to ask the college coaches questions about the program and the academics and the commitment, especially the time commitment to play it on the team. Switching gears a little bit, Bill, there's been a lot of discussion and videos out there posted regarding string pins and USB-C even came out with some stuff on there. And I don't want to get into a lot of that. We're going to save that for other podcasts. But purely from the coaching perspective, have you given any thought or is there a way that coaching on strings may be different in any way, shape or form? Or is this, I don't know, like I guess when I think of that, I kind of go back to if you go and a normal rack sets them down and, and maybe the rack setting them down a little bit off where the bowler has to adjust a little bit, or do you not, aren't, is that even not necessarily accurate, but how do, how do you thought, uh, approach things when, when maybe, or, or have you thought of that regarding coaching on uh, strings? Uh, I, I really haven't thought about coaching on strings because the pins are the destination and how you get to your destination is 60 feet of length of the head pin from the foul line and how you navigate that will never change. It hasn't changed since I started bowling in the early 1960s. You had to figure out a way to hit the head pin at the right angle to be able to strike. And it's no different today. Just that, you know, and the angles were the same then. You had to play way in, you had to play way out. You just, but you didn't have more than one bowling ball, maybe two. And you can create as big of an angle, but you had to get the right angle to strike. And obviously striking wasn't as big then. And the string pin carry, I, I don't know. You know, there, there's some funky things that happen, but I assume that you still want to enter the pocket at the right angle. And, you know, time will tell what the right angle is on string pins. Maybe it's not uh, somebody like the Belmo who can wheel the lane with precision 
and get the ball to come into the severe angle. Maybe it's more going back to like a uh, a straighter player that uh, like a Walter Ray that can can create angle shallower angles that carry. I don't know what the carry is going to be like, but it's it's going to be interesting. And I, I I I'm not a fan of it happening that we're going in that direction of bowling, but people think it's going to be a death of bowling. I think it's just going to be another. Uh, advancement in a different way, like synthetic lanes were, like bowling balls were, and it's you know it's our job as coaches, and it's the bowler's job as players to figure out how to best get the best out of it for themselves. You know, do you see yourself like we've been touched before about how two-handed bowling became more and, and more prominent? Do you see yourself as a coach? If string pins do continue to move forward, do you see yourself maybe doing more and more research to maybe? find out more about it or you can kind of let it run its course uh i i will definitely study it for string pins and and, and watch what happens and uh and it's a little area you know, we're going into the unknown again uh you're just like when we went to harder finishes on wood lanes then we went to synthetics it's a little bit of the unknown and the bowling ball evolution going to soft polyester going to urethane then uh, resin urethane uh, so, you know, they get all the cores and stuff. It, it becomes a learning curve. And, uh, you know, any, anybody that's really serious about coaching, it's their job and my job to keep up with what's going on, the service, the bowlers that we're trying to help. So I'm, I'm open-minded and I'm, I'm hoping more people will be. And, uh, you know, for most people, bowling is a night out. They enjoy playing and going with a group of friends or they, they can bowl a league, uh, a 20-team, four-person league, there's 80 people in the league they could talk to at any time they want or not at all, and they can compete uh, within themselves or as a group. You know, it's a, to me, bowling's best, always been the best social recreational sport we've ever had in our country. So I, I think it's going to continue so. And for, the, for the, the bowling centers, because you can't find mechanics anymore. And there's no training from when Brunswick dropped their mechanic school and AMF doesn't do that anymore. And there's some training out there and Vincennes got out of the the management training program and pin setter. So the training isn't out there and it's not a career path anymore for people in our industry. So the industry has to survive. And this is one way to keep costs in check that they can possibly survive. And on that note, Bill, my my final question will, will be more of a: Where can people find out more about you? Whether if they're in the in the Midwest, maybe they're looking to to find a coach. Maybe they're looking to look you up a little bit more. Whether they're young or old, but where can people find out more about you and, and some of the things you do? Yeah, I'm I'm in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Uh, I, I headquarter at a Lakeside Lanes in Mundelein, 24 Lane Center, that has a very progressive proprietor that's a bowler and he does everything for his bowlers. And I have a website. It's just basically BillSpigner.com. If you just Google my name, it'll pop up. There'll be enough out there. Uh, I'm easy to find. My phone number's on there. My email address is on there. So. Uh, I'm not hiding from the law anywhere, so uh, I'm I'm open and free to find. So I you know, I appreciate anybody asking, and um, kind of been a fascinating ride for me with uh, high school bowling for 20 years and uh, coaching, and you know I continue to do it, and I uh, think I I'll continue to do it until I can't do it anymore. <laughs> 